Good morning. The Bible reading today is from Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 38, and that's on page 820 of the Pew Bibles. Mark chapter 8. The heading is The Way of the Cross. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and of the, and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Thank you. Well, friends, thanks so much for being with us uh, this morning. Do you know, uh, when we think about opening of buildings, we need to remember one key truth. The Church of Jesus Christ consists of people, not buildings. The Bible says that we, the people of God, are the temple of God. We are the people of God. We are the family of God. We are God's church. And a beautiful truth is that God lives in us individually and corporately. As we gather in his name, he is very present with us. Jesus said, I will build my church, talking about the group of people who followed him, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we remember today as we look at the opening of a facility that God is on a mission to build his church and he does it through his people like us and uh, we pray that God would continue to build his church. And friends, uh, you've already heard it today that God has given us a vision to see lives transformed through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. We stand here, we gather, we pray, we sing and, uh, and we minister throughout the week and uh, throughout the year to see men and women discover the Lord Jesus Christ, meet him, find forgiveness of sins, find peace with God and be transformed by him. And we believe this message is good news for all the nations. And as I look around this morning, all the nations are gathered in this place, aren't we? We appear from all countries, all backgrounds, all experiences, almost probably every continent of the world is gathered right here in this place today. It is good news. Jesus said to his disciples before he went back to heaven, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then I'm going to send you out, he says. You have a mission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Church, we gather in this building, we are trained and equipped and motivated and we give glory, glory to God and we encourage one another and then we are sent out from this building. God will bring many people into this building to hear about his good news, but then he sends us out to the people of the world. But he sends us out not in our own strength, he sends us out in his power. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem for them, the early apostles, that was their local area. In all Judea and Samaria, that was the wider state. And to the ends of the earth. Buildings are simply tools to facilitate this great mission of God. As I said, uh, a place to gather, to worship, to pray, to hear God's word, to train, to serve, to love, to reach out. 
so we can play our part in the Great Commission. And friends, as I reflect a little bit on the buildings that we've had here to facilitate this ministry, uh, this church began as a fellowship in 1952. It was constituted as a church in 1954. It had a very small building. There you go. That's where we're sitting right now. 1954. As the area developed and the church grew, new facilities were built. But in 1992, the main auditorium here was set on fire and destroyed. That's where you're sitting right now. The steeple found itself bent over with a rainbow across the top. But the people, the church, continued to meet because it is the people who are the church of God, not the buildings. And I happened to meet in that hall that had just been built before this was burnt down. And I visited this church by chance or by God's sovereign plan in January 1993. The new auditorium was opened in 1994, almost 30 years ago. In 2014, as Steve mentioned, if we go back one, please, uh, we opened stage one extensions. Uh, second floor area, you can go and have a look at, uh, out there alongside the hall. We extended the kitchen, we ex extended the, uh, the playtime room and so on. And we paid off the loan for that, by the way, in seven years by your generous giving and commitment to the work of the gospel in this place. Over the last 26 years, we've also purchased and paid off two manses, two homes that two of the pastors live in, as we have partnered together to use our finances well going into the future. Today in 2023, we opened the completely rebuilt foyer, an old radio station. In the next three months, we hope to have new seats and new carpet in renovating this facility. So you, you have a facility, we have a facility, this generation and the next generation and the next generation has a facility to do the work of the gospel. But I wanted to share with you five key principles this morning with that background. What are we called to do and to be as God's people? And the first thing is we need to surrender completely to God. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, the Apostle Paul writes, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, he says. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 to 11 has described the gospel, the death of Jesus on our behalf the forgiveness we can find with God, the fact that we can be justified, declared right with God through faith in the Lord Jesus, not by our good works. He has spoken about the ministry of the Holy Spirit to come and empower us and to transform us. And then he says, in view of that mercy, in view of all that God has done for you, God requires something of you, church. He requires that you give yourselves completely to his service, as offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, pleasing to him, holy to him. And as we offer ourselves completely to God, his desire is that our minds are transformed and they are shaped by the word of God and not by what you hear out in the community. 
Not by the latest philosopher or psychologist or, or politicians, and we like politicians. <laughs> They're doing a great sacrificial job for us. But we are formed in our minds by the word, truth of God's word. And God wants all of us, not a part of us. Abraham Cooper, a leader in the past, said, There is not an inch of any sphere of life over which Jesus Christ does not say mine. See, when you come to Christ, he says, I want all of you. Rick Warren puts it this way, there is a moment of surrender to God when you come to Christ, but there is the practice of surrender, which is moment by moment and lifelong. The problem with a living sacrifice is that it can crawl off the altar. So you may have to surrender your life 50 times a day. Make it a daily habit. And friends, he also writes this, Surrendering your life is not a foolish emotional impulse, but a rational, intelligent act, the most responsible and sensible thing you can do with your life. If God is the creator and he has saved you, he knows what is best for you and he wants you to invest your life in the things that matter to God and it's on his heart. I just remember one story, a number of years ago I, I was at a function and I met a young adult. They came to me she, I mentioned my name. She said, Angelo. She didn't run into many Angelos. Gratsunas. I said, yeah, that's the one. Said, 10 years ago, you spoke at a camp that I was at as a little year seven girl. At that camp, I gave my life to Jesus. He's totally transformed him, transformed me. Doesn't get any better than that, does it? Surrender to God, use your gifts and talents to bring good and life to others. Friends, that's what God calls us to. To see more and more people fill this place all through our service throughout the day because they meet Jesus and are transformed by Jesus. And the good news, I share that story, is because often you will not see the results. You'll love God, you'll serve God, and you think, did I make any impact? Heaven will tell the stories. Heaven will tell the stories. Even if you don't hear them right here and now. Secondly, proclaim unashamedly. Friends, we have good news to share. It is good news. And many of you know that I'm a soccer fan, so uh, when uh, Manchester United wins or Sydney FC wins, I tell people, right? You know, I, for those who don't know, I, I have a granddaughter who doesn't know. I just happen to mention her every so often because when you have something you enjoy, you, you share good news, don't you? We have the message of a saviour who stepped out of heaven into earth, to die on a cross for us, to be raised from the dead, to offer forgiveness and new life. We have good news, let's share it. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, the Bible says. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were running away from God. We had no interest in God, and yet he chose to die for us. I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul writes, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile, Romans 1.16. Don't be ashamed. You have good news. Share it in a gentle, gracious way as you have opportunity. Preach the gospel to yourself first, will you, though? Sometimes you make mistakes and you fail and you think you're not good enough for God. None of us are good enough for God. God is gracious. Preach grace and forgiveness and redemption to yourself. You are now a child of the living God if you're in Jesus. Proclaim the gospel to each other. You need to share this uh, word with one another to encourage one another to keep going, keep living for Jesus. 
on Sundays, in home Bible study groups, in one-on-one conversations, over coffee. Proclaim it locally and globally. Jesus has called this church to go out in his name to, to our schools through SRE classes, to university ministry, to kids clubs and holiday clubs. Robin tells me, by the way, we've almost up to the 200 limit for holiday club. Praise God, about 20 applications came in in the last few days. If you want to get your kids in, you've got like, like about five minutes. <laughs> right? We've got youth groups on a Friday night. We have camps and men's and women's events and creative craft and prime time and festivals and playtime groups and radio and websites and computer groups. We're called to take the gospel. Globally, if you didn't know, we, have, we support 15 families serving overseas in mission throughout the nations. Right? We give financially to support their work. We launched our Mandarin service in February 2014 because our area changed, increasing Chinese population. And they gather at 2 o'clock. They celebrate 10 years as a congregation in February next year when we celebrate our 70th year as a church. Thirdly, don't just proclaim love sacrificially. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So it's not enough to speak the gospel. We must live out the gospel. The way we treat people should demonstrate that Jesus is a great saviour and it's worth following him. We love and we serve and we speak in such a way is that we commend Jesus. Now, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Friends, we are Christians. Christians are called to love sacrificially, to give generously to help others, and to do it cheerfully, to serve wholeheartedly. Throughout the year, we give up four to 500 food hampers to needy families. We have a list of 60 or 70 uh, families from that community who come and we help feed them. We build loving community through our home group ministry. 450 people in our home group ministries, meeting in about 40 groups throughout the week, engaged and caring for one another. We serve the local community through our activities that build community, like our playtime ministry, marvellous ministry on Mondays and Wednesdays, creative craft, computer classes. We go into aged care facilities to run services so people who can't get out can hear the good news of Jesus and know that they are loved, that they are valued. We serve the poor overseas. Through Baptist World Aid and other agencies, hundreds of children are sponsored through members of this church. We support disability work in Thailand, clean water projects in Bali, amongst other things. We support Samaritan's Purse Operation Christmas Child. At the end of August, we'll launch again to put shoeboxes together of gifts for children in places of the world where they never get gifts. And I get the message of Jesus. Creative Craft Group raises thousands of dollars each year for various charities. Our Bibles for the Persecuted Church program each October raised six to $7,000 to get Bibles into the hands of brothers and sisters in Africa and Asia where they have been persecuted because they love Jesus. 
Friends, this week, one of my friends, or just last week, sent me a message. He has a friend in Uganda. Some terrorists came through, killed a number of people, 20 or 30 people in a school, and took some other kids away. First-hand story from one of our people in Uganda. Loss of life, death, persecution, because they love Jesus. It's happening around the world. We stand with our brothers and sisters. We do not simply sit in a nice, comfortable, modern facility in Nawi, but we have our eyes focused on the world and what God is doing and where our brothers and sisters are suffering and how we can help. That's who we are. That's a heartbeat of our church. Fourthly, we live dangerously. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Challenging words by Jesus. People were following Jesus and it sounded good. He was healing the sick and raising the dead and feeding heaps of people with a little bit of bread and a few fish. He was an exciting man to be around. And Jesus then said, hold on now. If you are really serious about me, you need to understand that I'm heading to a cross. That's my end. If you want to follow me, pick up your cross, be willing to suffer for me, even if it means the end of your life. It's costly to follow Jesus, but it is worth it. If you lose your life for me and for the gospel, you will save it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a famous Christian from the past. He died at the age of 39, so young. April the 9th, 1945, under the Nazis. A Christian leader who spoke out against Nazism. They put him to death just before the end of the war. And he wrote to Christians who were living in that environment... The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him, come and die. Some of you have come to faith in Jesus and your families have not been happy. Some of you maybe have been rejected by family members because you've come to trust in Jesus and it's different to how your family brought you up or you came from a different religious background or maybe you came from an atheist background and your family's not happy that you are now a Christian. It's costly. Jesus said, remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. It's risky. Let me say this. It is risky to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But it's worth it because the one who stands behind all that we are and all that we do for his name and for his glory sustains us and works even through tough times. Friends, we had a team in Bali during the Bali bombing in 2001, if you didn't know. Thankfully, they weren't in the city on that day. I just returned home a few days earlier. Some of you were there on that team. You saw and you smelt the evil, the burnt flesh. You went to the hospitals to assist at that point. Some of our workers who live in Bali spent months afterwards serving the needy in Bali in Jesus' name. 
Well, other people said, maybe you should leave and go back home to Australia. They said, no, God has called us to love and to serve the people. If we run away when something difficult happens, what does it say about Jesus, our Jesus? A few years later, Milad Slima was in Lebanon and uh, there was some bombing between Israel and Syria and bridges were taken out through Lebanon because I visited a few years later and Milad said, you know that bridge that was bombed? You know that bridge that was bombed? You know that place that was bombed? And you see, the Australian government put on aeroplanes back then, David, I don't know if you remember, and many of I, I joke, well, many of my friends from Greenacre and Bankstown flew back to Australia, <laughs> right? People who were dual citizens. I said, Milad, are you coming back home? So, no, what would it say if we leave and come back to Australia when our people are suffering right here in Lebanon and they stayed and they served the people? Living dangerously. Tim and Val are cross-cultural workers in their 70s working in a hospital in Central Asia. They've just gone back. That's the call of Jesus to go and serve no matter where. The Apostle Paul, who wrote many of the the texts, was shipwrecked and arrested, beaten and imprisoned for his faith. And he rejoiced in it. And one time he was in prison and the believers were singing songs of praise to God, which led to good gospel conversations. John Piper tells this story about two older women. It's very appropriate as I'm getting older at 61. Because what am I going to do with the rest of my life? What are you going to do with your life? Go to safety or go to risky service of Christ? And in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, he, he writes this. In April 2000, Ruby Eliasson and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon, West Africa. Ruby was over 80, single all her life. She poured it out for one great thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the unreached, the poor and the sick. Laura was a widow, a medical doctor, pushing 80 years old and serving at Ruby's side in Cameroon. I asked my congregation, was that a tragedy? So what happened? The brakes failed, the car went over a cliff, and they were both killed instantly. So I asked my congregation, was that a tragedy? Two lives driven by one great passion to spend in unheralded service to the perishing poor for the glory of Jesus Christ, even two decades after most of their American counterparts had retired to throw away their lives on trifles, he says. No, that is not a tragedy. That is a glory. These lives were not wasted and these lives were not lost. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it, Mark 8. And finally, pray passionately. Friends, as we live for the glory of God, we need to pray without ceasing, the Bible says. It is not in our strength. It is not in my strength. It is in God's strength we're able to fulfill all that God has called us to be and to do. Someone has said, I love this, says a prayerless Christian is like a bus driver trying to push his bus out of a rut because he doesn't know that Clark Kent is on board. (laughs) We need to acknowledge God, go bring our request to him about sicknesses, about mission, about needs, about our community, how we can serve and ask God to, to help us. And God will answer our prayers according to his will and purpose. The Bible says, devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful and pray for us that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. 
And more than that, he says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions, all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Friends, we built some new offices. What happens in those offices? They're prayer rooms. Let me tell you what they are. You want to pray for something? They are prayer rooms and we are calling out to God to do his work amongst us. They're the, place, the rooms where we're going to study the scriptures and God, say, God, transform our minds so we can help God's people. In those places, we're going to be praying for people who maybe have lost a loved one or maybe go through marriage difficulty or maybe have a child who's walked away from God or is on drugs or something else or someone who's just had a, a falling out with a brother and sister and we're going to counsel them and help them. When you think about these facilities, don't just think about a foyer. Because I'll, let me tell you where the engine room is. It's not in this building where you're sitting. It's not in the foyer that you're going to mix for a little while. It's in those offices. If you want to do something for the pastoral team and for the glory of God, pray for what happens in those offices. Stories of young people struggling with same-sex attraction or transgender issues or loneliness, or suicide, or depression. You know where it's going to happen? It's going to be in those places. Let me cast a vision for you of what happens here during the week when you're not here. Cover everything in prayer, will you? Again, John Piper in his uh, challenging book, Let the Nations Be Glad, he says this, The crying need of the hour is for God's people to pray. He said, God has given us prayer because Jesus has given us a mission. We are on this earth to press back the forces of darkness and we're given access to headquarters by prayer to advance his course. Pick up the telephone, he says. Talk to God. When we try to run it into a civilian intercom to increase our conveniences, it stops working and our faith begins to falter. We have so domesticated prayer that for many of us, it is no longer what it was designed to be. A wartime walkie-talkie for the accomplishment of Christ's mission. The crying need of the hour is to put the churches on a wartime, wartime footing. We don't pick up the weapons of this world. We put, pick up the weapons of prayer and love and mercy and, and service. That's how we go. There's a verse that uh, I've shared with a few people this week that really uh, encouraged me to keep going at a moment like this. Romans 12 Verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Friends, the Church of Jesus Christ consists of people, not buildings. Buildings are helpful tools in the hand in the work of God. We're called to surrender completely to the one who has saved us, to proclaim unashamedly, to love sacrificially, to live dangerously, no matter what it costs, and to pray passionately. Through it all, that lives might be transformed and God glorified. Amen.